All right. Uh, so if you guys do not have a Bible, please raise up your hands so the ladies in the back can give you some Bibles. Uh, you, if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 11. And uh, we are going to be reading from there. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. But first off, we are in a series called Welcome Home, uh, where we have been going through what the early church was kind of devoting themselves to. So we talked about the first week, we talked about preaching, then we talked about uh, fellowship and all of what that meant with uh, Zach, which was really awesome. Last week, we talked about communion and eating and food and all the goodness that's all with that. Tonight, we are talking about the very last things. That's what it says. Acts 2, 42, um, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So for them, they devoted themselves basically to two things, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. What does fellowship mean to them? Fellowship for them means breaking of bread and prayers. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight we are talking about prayer, and that's what we're going to learn in Luke chapter 11. Now, as a caveat, um, one of the things I think that happens when we talk about stuff like this is uh, you see, you know, a guy up on stage who's talking about, uh, you know, stuff about Jesus and all of this goodness, and you immediately kind of think like, man, that guy hasn't made, you know, he's figured it all out, um, you know, look at him, he's just, he looks holy, right? So you're probably all thinking that, and this is very not true. Uh, one of the things you should get accustomed to is not thinking that the most um, godly person, or the most holy person is the one necessarily who has the mic, because this is one of those areas where for me, um, is very, very, uh, I don't know, hard and difficult, because prayer is one of the things that I look at myself and I go, I suck at prayer. I'm very, very bad at prayer. So just as much as you hear this message hitting you in certain places, just so you know, it's also getting to me. And it's hitting me in different places, and I'm learning a lot of things in regards to this, and I hope that this begins to be a journey that we too we do together and not so much that we're just judging other people because they're bad at one thing or another thing or whatever. But what Acts 2.42 says is that the community, the people coming together, pray together. And praying together is one of those really important things. When you do things together, that's how you grow with one another. Isn't that true? Isn't it funny how the people in the world who like defy authority and like institutions and organizations, like, you know, those people who are like anarchy, uh, we hate people who group together and, you know, provide structure. Who do they do that with? With people who are like-minded with them and they try to take down organizations that love to be together by being together. It makes zero sense, right? How are we going to destroy that group? By being a group. And it makes no sense whatsoever. There is something to humanity where we want to be together, like-minded with different individuals, doing the same things. Prayer is going to be one of those things. Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 1. So where are we going to be? Uh, this is Jesus. He's with his disciples, and his disciples are going to ask him a very important question that they have not asked him before. And this is what he says. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. This has never happened before. None of the disciples have ever walked up to Jesus and said, hey, give us a lesson on how to do this whole prayer thing. How do you do this? Why do we do this? 
all of that goodness. Now, prayer, for those of you who are not familiar with church stuff, is basically just talking to God. Now, that can be done in a bunch of different ways, but now you can already see why prayer is kind of important. It begins to be the litmus test of what you actually believe about God in general. Of all the disciplines, reading your Bible, evangelizing, telling people about your faith, the one thing, you know, even fasting or silence and solitude, the one discipline that really shows that you are all in is prayer. Because if you're wrong, if no one's actually listening, you look crazy, don't you? You're sitting there, you're mumbling to yourself, you're saying random stuff. This is the only one that really pushes to you to go, you have to believe this to do this or else you look nuts. And that was one of the reasons why I hated praying growing up. I hated praying because I, if I'm honest and if we are going to be honest, some of us, the reasons why I didn't want to pray is because I didn't think anyone was listening. I didn't really think that anyone was listening that all my voice was doing was echoing off the walls of my bedroom and no one was really there to pay attention. And if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we can fall into the same thing. Prayer becomes a very weird thing in, in church circles. It's very ritualistic. We do it at the same times every single day. We do it at the same times during every single service. We even have weird rules for prayer in churches, right? We have weird jargon for it. If you're in a circle with a bunch of people, you're gonna pray about something and somebody goes, Let's popcorn it. We're like, we all know what that means. Or we have the awkward 15 second rule. You know what I mean? Like prayer's just kind of done if no one says anything. Like imagine that in just regular conversation, right? You're sitting with your friends at school and you're in a circle talking. Yeah, blah, 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 yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, the Canucks, yeah, they suck. Okay, you know, they, we go through all these things and then we just wait. Amen. All right, bye. And then we all take off. That's, that's a weird thing to do. And yet we think it's like so normal to have these weird traditions and structures when we begin to pray. Prayer is much more than this. Prayer is much more than just this awkward interaction that we have with other Christians, trying to look cool to other Christians, to a God that we may or may not believe in. Which is how so many of us kind of go to it. If you want a completely different vision of what prayer can be, uh, there's this quote uh, by this guy named Sky Jathani, and it's, uh, it's brilliant. And, and I think, I've said it to you before, but I really want us to take hold of what this means and what this could offer to us after we are done uh, this message. This is what it says. It says, we are not merely passive set pieces in a prearranged cosmic drama, but we are active participants with God in the writing, directing, design, and action that unfolds. Prayer, therefore, is much more than asking God for this or that outcome. It is drawing into communion with him and there taking up our privileged role as his people. In prayer, we are invited to join him in directing the course of this world. Prayer is much more than we think of it as. Prayer can be so much more than what we actually make of it right now. 
Prayer is actually very important for us. And we do some of the things that we naturally do when it comes to prayer. One of the things that blew my mind in prayer was uh, that stuff actually goes down. I remember when I was five years old, uh, or maybe just a bit older, uh, I, uh, and it was kind of funny now looking back at it, I went to a family reunion, kind of similar to Thanksgiving time, right? We all go with our families, we hang out, and I'm just a little young kid. So we go to this house, all my cousins are there. I'm kind of like that, maybe some of you know this, you're like the awkward age in the family where everybody else is just younger than you and then the rest of us, everyone's just older than you and you're kind of stuck. So you're like, am I just gonna be the awkward one hanging out with the little kids or like, or am I gonna hang out with the big boys? So I was like, I'm gonna hang out with the big boys because I'm a gangster. So I go and hang out with the big guys. They all go upstairs, they're in a room, they're watching TV. I'm like, I'm about the TV life, right? So I go up there and uh, they're watching a scary movie. Now, if you know me, I ain't into scary movies, right? That's like straight, like, no, I ain't about that life. Get me out of here. This is evil, right? So I'm, I'm not about that because I literally will not sleep for weeks on end. And they're watching the movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called Chucky, okay? Now, Chucky is the worst scary movie you could ever watch as a child, okay? Because it's literally a doll. It's just a child's plaything that kills you, okay? So do you know how important child playthings are for a child? Very much so. So I see, you know, rabid doll killing people in this movie, and I'm like, no, I'm done. Turn around, try to go through the door, and the big boys stop me. And I'm like, oh, Lord God, please help me in this situation because this is not gonna go well. They pick me up. They put me on the bed in this room, and they sat on me and made me watch the film. And I closed my eyes and they pincered them open. And I'm like, this is pure evil. This is scarring for me at this moment. Now, I, uh, I grew up in kind of like a lower income household. So uh, we had an apartment and there was four people living in the apartment. There was a grand, my grandparents in one room and uh, there was me and my mom in the other room. So as I grew up, I always like shared a room with my mom. And uh, after that night, I was like terrified of Chucky and uh, I couldn't see a doll anymore. Everyone said, anyone said like Chuck Taylors? I'm like, oh, like a traumatic, like post-traumatic stress or whatever, uh, it was the worst, you know? Like beef chuck was like, oh my goodness, you know? <sighs> it still haunts me. Um, anyways, so I remember one night uh, I got really, really fear fearful of the dark and, uh, and, and you know when you're in the dark and you're scared of stuff and you just look at regular items, like the TV in the room and you look at it and you're like, I know that's a TV but my brain's telling me that's a dragon. So I don't know what to do because there's a dragon in my room, but I know that's a TV. So in that moment, uh, I remember this is like probably the first time I ever meaningfully prayed in my entire life was just like, God, please let this not happen. I don't want dragons in my room or whatever I said in my five-year-old prayer. It was very sincere, probably very simple. And it was honest. It was very, very honest. And it was a game-changing moment for me because what I asked for actually happened. And I felt this really overwhelming peace. And it was strange, like it was this confidence and it was just this overwhelming feeling of I'm going to be okay. And I'd never felt that. 
And I still at times have never gotten that feeling back, but at that point I did. And it was this really interesting moment of just asking God for something in prayer. That these guys are walking to Jesus saying, teach us how to do that. Teach us, teach us prayer. Teach us this, this communication with God that is simple, which is honest, that actually means something to us. We as Christians have kind of four ways that we pray. One is that we pray in worship. We pray in worship. Some of you probably have seen through your prayer life or the times that you've been praying, you do maybe some of these things. God, you are so good. You are awesome. You are incredible. Thank you. And that's the second one. We pray with thanksgiving. God, thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. God, thank you for my wife, for my pet chinchilla, Thor. Thank you for the fact that I get to, you know, we have to be way more thankful about the things that we have in life. Do we understand that we bathe in drinking water? Think about that. A majority of the planet cannot drink water and we bathe in it. We, we wash ourselves in what other people would die to have. Think, we're, we're thankful about it. The majority of the planet does not have this element and we go to our bathrooms and just pull a lever and it comes on out. Are we not thankful? More thankful for things like that. Why don't we pray, God, thank you for my life. Have you ever had a time where you were sick and you got a really bad cold or something, you had to stay home from school and you're you know, maybe puking or you're coughing and you're coughing to the point where your throat is so scratchy. And maybe this is just for the guys because I know girls have more like pain tolerance or whatever, but I'm going, Lord, I will give you my first child to get rid of this disease, right? I'm praying as much as I possibly can. So you know how I stay thankful? I stay thankful when I drive around and I go, Lord God, thank you that I do not have a cold right now, right? How many times have I said this? Like, I'm the biggest wimp. I go and I stub my toe, I'm like halfway to atheism, right? Like, that's where, that's where I'm at. Why's everyone offended? Oh, look at him. Anyways, uh, that's me. Just being able to pray and sit there and just be God thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the community that we have. I'm thankful for the chance that I get to see you guys worship and, and it instills something in me that grounds me. That I see you as community and I go, man, that pushes me to want to be something more. We got prayers, worship. We got prayers, thanksgiving. Then we also have prayers, conversation. Think about your communication with any said person. You can talk to anyone, any single person about one thing. Any human on the planet, you can walk up to and ask them this question and they will answer you because it's appropriate for everyone. If you walk up to any human being and say, hey, sorry, how do I get here? People will stop. Even though they don't know who you are, they will answer your question and they will help you. It's kind of weird. You can go anywhere on the planet. I remember I went to Japan, right? I go to Japan, they have a crazy wonky transit system. I have my phone out and I'm going up and I'm like, and they're going crazy at me. Like they're, they're going full Japanese. Like I don't think they understood. I don't know Japanese. Like I, I look the type, but I don't, you know? Like I watched Dragon Ball for a while, but like that's all I got, you know? 
And every single person will stop to try and help you because of the level of relationship that's necessary for that conversation. There's not a level of relationship for that. But even you know that in your conversations with people, the deeper the relationship, the more open you are going to be with them about things. Isn't it funny that the people that you love the most are the people that you're the meanest with? Isn't that weird? Like you talk to any single person, like you walk up to me, you know, you know, maybe some of you don't really know me that much. And I go, hey, how are you doing? You're like, oh, the, uh, the Lord has blessed me today, you know, uh, real good, real good. The Lord bless the Father, right? And then you go home and you're like, mom, laundry, what is this? Mom, why is the Wi-Fi out? Okay, seriously. We're acting like cavemen here, fix it. And you love her and you're horrible to her and you're mean to her and you communicate in such a way, why? Because of just the depth of the relationship. Now imagine a relationship so deep to where you could be honest about everything. It's prayer, it's conversation. The last one, the last way that you pray these disciples ask Jesus, how do you pray? Is by this thing called petition or asking. It's when you ask for something. This is predominantly how Christians pray. We show up and we have a laundry list of things that we want God to do. And we say, God, do this. And I want you to 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 do this. And this and this and this and this. And we have all of these different things that we want to go and do. And that's the main way into which we operate within prayer. And it shouldn't be. So we got four things. We got worship, we got conversation, we got uh, petition, and then we have conversation. Those are the four things that we're doing. So let's move on. They asked Jesus how to pray, and then it begins to continue. Lord, teach us, uh, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Verse two, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Father. Now, it's interesting that the very first word that God uses, that Jesus uses in his prayer, is that one word, Father. That's interesting. He doesn't use the word Lord. He doesn't use the word King. He doesn't use the word rightful judge. He uses the word Father. Father, you are the one into whom I am going to pray. Pray to the Father. The Father this tells us a lot more about the way that we should, the basis, the very thing that strengthens our prayer is about some kind of a relationship. Now, for most of us, we think about it in two ways, this kind of transaction between us and God. One of them is this relationship between uh, a, a renter or a landlord and a boarder. A boarder is someone who rents a house from someone, okay? So a boarder and a landlord. I pay you money, you give me a service. So if I do something, you do something back. That's a relation, a business transaction. But this does not say that your relationship with God in prayer is a business transaction. What's the word that Jesus uses? Father. Father. It's a family relationship. It's a, it's a fa like the, the level of relationship is not just casual. We're friends. I've seen you. It's the depth of a family. That's what he's talking about. A family, like 
I want you to un- ask yourself the question, do you, as a follower of Jesus, communicate to God as you do your own parents? Do you talk to him in the same way? Are you eager to ask them questions that are burning in your mind to have answers for? How do you view him? How do you see God? What are the different ways into which you believe you follow him? How do you look at him? Do you pray in such a way where all you are asking for are things? Or you have a rhythm of the way that you do life? Or you use big fancy words in your prayers when you're in groups just because you want people to see you in a different way? That's not how you talk to a parent. That's not how you talk to family. This is the predominant image to which Jesus is saying for you to fulfill. Talk like he's family to you. Not this this renter, not this landlord border transaction. He's actually asking you to be a part of a relationship with God in such a way where your prayer says something about you. I think at times we have this, this idea of us talking to God that's all about the result. Let me challenge you with an idea for one second. What if prayer has nothing to do what you're asking for, but has to do with everything about who you are when you pray? What if prayer has nothing to do about what you're asking for, but it's everything about who you are when you are praying? You're humble. You're dependent. You are asking of God in such a tremendous way. Maybe prayer is not necessarily about you getting the the very things that you want to get in your life. And maybe prayer is not about you seeing God in a different way. What if prayer naturally can be God showing you yourself for the very first time? That the way that you were created to be is exactly what you are in prayer humble, dependent, caring, thoughtful. Is this a business transaction? Is this family? I don't even know how many really troubling questions I could probably ask at this time. When's the last time you prayed about something that wasn't about you? Maybe you go, you know, yesterday I did, it was good. Now think of the percentages of how often you pray for something about yourself versus other people. Think about when you pray about things. Do you only pray about things when things are out of your control? Or do you also pray about the things that you naturally just have? You know, I studied really hard for this exam. I know I'm going to kill this exam. God, let me, let me do well here. Thank you so much for allowing me to do this and to learn We're thankful for you and your goodness. When was the last time you ever did that? You know you had that. Or how often is just the emergency measure of your life? When it's out of control, I can't do anything else, I've exhausted every other option, finally, I'll go to God. It's not how we work with a parent. Right? That's not even how I work with my wife. She goes, hey, go find your keys. I get up for one second. Literally, I turn around in a circle and I go, Leash, I need your help with the keys, man. I don't know where they are. 
and in three seconds, she's got them. My first option is to ask for help, not my last option. How many times have you questioned with something, you go like, I, I actually have no idea about this. I don't know how to do this. Do you exhaust every single option of how you, uh, what you should probably do? Or do you run straight for mom? You probably run straight to mom. Because moms know more than you do. We all know that. I remember growing up and I would ask any dumb question about anything. And I was like, this is literally the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Maybe it's a math problem or it's science or I'm trying to fix something. Or I'm like, which is the proper way to put the toilet paper? Like, is it th this way down or is it up? I'm asking myself all the kinds of questions that you have. It was the very first person I go to. It's mom. It's family. It's a different way of communicating that you could ever possibly think of. And that's what you have to think of yourself as. Not in this business transaction. It's, it's this one word, father. I think if anything comes out of here tonight, the one thing that you have to understand is that if you believe that your relationship with God is dependent on your performance, on you doing something so he can do something back, you do not understand the gospel. If you think that the only reason why you follow Jesus is so one day you can go to heaven, you do not understand the extent of the gospel. That is not what you are made for. That is not your intention or your end goal even, which we're gonna talk about. What you have in your life to look forward to is this idea. First, uh, this guy named Jaya Packer says it this way. Our first point about adoption, adoption is that it is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Adoption, not salvation, not salvation, adoption that you as a human being are seen as a child of God. That idea is the highest privilege that the gospel can give to anyone. We make such a big idea about going from a non-believer to a believer, but we don't make enough emphasis on the fact that, imagine this, this kind of a situation. I'm a, I'm a store owner and I have two employees. And those two employees rob me millions and millions of dollars from my company and I fire them both because they've wronged me. So I've punished them in a certain way. Now imagine if one of those boys or one of those people come back to me and say, listen, I've lost everything. My family's passed away. I have no money. I have no home. What's, what's the best thing for me to do at that point? To restore them back to their job? That would be a cool system. Okay, I'll give you your job back. But what if I look at that young man and I say, hey, I'm looking at your situation. You're just a kid. I've talked to my wife. We're gonna give you your job back and we want you to move into our house. What's a greater thing? Adoption. It's the highest privilege that you have as a follower of Jesus is that you get to be known as a child of God. It's the greatest thing. And the most pronounced way that you see that is in your relationship to God in prayer. 
Uh, this Packer guy, he, he begins to elaborate a bit on this. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is much greater. The Bible reemphasizes this point all the time. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. What's the Father's love about? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The highest privilege that we have as somebody who has responded to the gospel is that we become children John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The children of God. That's the default situation. So when Jesus continues his prayer and he teaches them how to pray in Luke 11, what's the very first thing he says? Father. And then he says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. Let, let, let holiness and worthiness and praise be on your name. The very first thing that Jesus does in this moment is he praises. He does a prayer of worship. And that shows you where you really are. That your default as a follower of Jesus is worship. And the very thing that shows you about where you really fit in your relationship with God, if you are a business transaction or you are a family, is how you think about what happens when you pray. Because a Christian is just filled with awe. Everything is a gift to them. I pray for something and, and God makes it happen. My immediate reaction should not be, oh, yeah, that, of course that should have happened. It's God, thank you. It's this, it's this blown away at the fact that God would sit there and listen to you and just and give you what you've asked for. It's just this awe and this admiration that begins to be your default. That's a family relationship. When, when a parent gives you a gift, do you sit there and you go, I, I earned this? No, you're just blown away. The thing I've been asking for for forever is finally, you, I can't believe you actually gave me that thing. I can't believe like, you spent, you actually, like, it's just Thanksgiving. Now here's the scarier part. How often do we pray about things? They don't happen and we get angry. How often do we pray about things they don't happen and we get angry? Which relationship does that show? Is that thanksgiving? Is that being in awe? Or is why didn't you give me what I was due? Why didn't you give me the very thing that, I've, that I asked for? I asked for that thing. Is that family? Or is that business? It's business. That we as followers of Jesus asking God for something that we believe that we deserve is not prayer. It's bribery. 
God, if you don't give me that thing, then I'll, I'll stop worshiping you. God, didn't you see what I did this week? Haven't you seen how I've operated in my life? The righteous things that we believe that we do, we use as ammo against God so he can give us what, he, what we want. That is not family. It's bribery. It's extortion. So how do we react? When things are, are actually happened that we pray for, do we sit there and go, yeah, of course. And this sense of entitlement to it because we've done our part, you should do yours. Or when God answers the prayers that we've just given to him, are we sitting there in awe and saying, God, thank you. I can't believe he did that. Jesus starts with, with praise. The second thing that Jesus asks for Verse three, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. He asks for something. It's a petition. He asks for something. Now, this is, this is very important if you, if you understand where you're at. If this, is, if this is a business transaction, if this is a business transaction, your prayer relationship with God, then what you are asking of him, you do not have to ask for more times. You did your part, I did my part, let's get this done and move on. But if this is a family, a constant message all throughout the Bible is pray and pray and pray and be relentless and be bold that if God has allowed you to be a child of himself, then go to him as a child does. Ask and you will receive. It goes on to talk about this idea, if a bad father has a son who asks for a bird, does he go and give him a snake? No, he gives him the bird. So imagine how much more would a good father give to you? How much more? It's a father that you go and you ask him of things, that you, you go to him because you want to. I know when I'm in difficult situations and I'm, I'm sitting there trying to figure things out and I go to my mom and I ask her for something, it's immediate. It's almost like there's no hesitation and it weirds me out every single time. I'm in a money problem and I go and I'm like, man, this is so embarrassing. Like I have to ask my mom for help and immediately... She goes and she gives me what I ask for. And I go, this is kind of weird. And for her, it's so much joy. Not because she's giving something up or because it's this thing that she's worked so hard for, this money that's hers. She goes, he, just, he wants me to help him. He wants me to be with him. I remember one time, it was Halloween. And I was in the 10th grade. And I was kind of in that stage where like, I'm not gonna dress up for Halloween and it was the next day for school and I didn't wanna do anything. And then at the very last second I go, I actually wanna do this. But it's like 11.30 at night. And I run into my mom's room and I go, mom, we got a project. She's like, what? I go, I wanna be Mr. T. She's like, what? Mr. T? I go, yeah, I wanna be Mr. T. And what did mom do? She got out of bed. She's like, you're the dumbest kid of all time. And we got in the car. We drove to Shoppers Drug Mart, which is the only store that's open at that time. And we found everything we could. And for the next three hours, me and my mom sat at a kitchen table and she made me a costume for the next day. 
just because I asked. Isn't it funny that a child is allowed to get away with something that you may believe to be rude? Right? We have this weird thing with God where we say, like, oh, you can't do that to God. Like, you have to be very, like, like you have to be very respectful and stoic and very structured because it's like this reverence and the only person who ever dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his own child. The only person who it's acceptable to walk into a king's chambers and ask him for a glass of water when they are dead asleep is their own child. A behavior like that for any other person is completely inappropriate. But for a child, it's accepted. It's wanted. How do you see your relationship with God? How do you see prayer? Is this a business transaction? Or is this family? To ask relentlessly over and over and over again, pray without ceasing. You have not because you have asked not. Isaiah 62 says, give him no rest. Don't give him, or just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. I'm, uh, I, I was going through Instagram and there's this football player. His name is Brandon Marshall for the New York Giants. He injured his knee and he's out for the complete season. So I'm reading this guy's caption. I'm going to the bottom. And at the bottom, he says, God's denial is, or God's delay is not God's denial. God's delay is not God's denial. And I'm sitting there going like, only if we actually felt that, only if we actually believed that, that we ceaselessly go after God with our prayers, that we see him as a father, not as employer, not as landlord, not as a business transaction or somebody who we rent from or anything that goes into this manner of living life, but we see him as a father. That don't we understand the gospel, that Jesus dying on a cross was an emphatic moment for all of history because all, that the Old Testament was ever trying to do is how do we get back to God? How do we get back to him? How can we finally talk to him? How can we finally be with him? And they went through all of these procedures. They went through all of these things to try and do that over and over and over and over again. And it would not happen. And so one day Jesus goes onto a cross and there's this beautiful image where it says, in the temple, the veil broke. It was tore right down the middle. And what is the result of that? The result is that the very thing that people have been waiting for, for eternity, direct access with God, Jesus wins for you. So how do you access, direct access to God? Prayer. And the very thing that God wins for us, that we are now capable of doing, is the thing that we most often neglect. And we push away. The very thing that everyone else cared for and died for and mourned over is the thing that you and I have and we neglect. So what I want us to do now 
is as the musicians come up and, and the band comes up, they're going to play a couple of songs. And we're going to break up into a couple of groups. And the way this is going to work is on Sunday, we're starting our community groups. And uh, community groups are awesome. I personally get to run with the grade nine boys, which is uh, terrifying. And, uh, and the rest of the leaders are all broken up too. And what we want to do for this next portion of time is just to sit around your gender and your grade and to pray for one another. And just be honest with what you need prayer for. Because if the early church came together and they prayed with one another, allow us to do the same thing. So we're gonna put up in just a quick second. Um, these guys are gonna uh, start playing behind. You guys are gonna break up into your groups and uh, we're gonna get to you guys to do that now. So you guys can get up. Uh, leaders, you can find your locations. So we'll put the list up onto uh, the screen and uh, we're gonna do that in just a few seconds.